is AI going to make the game too difficult? Now, the biggest challenge that one has is like, how do you make it so that like the models are small enough to be rendering on a device in a PS5 or in an Xbox? Pretty much every game company is now starting to use AI in some fashion, um, mostly with generative art. That is the main problem, especially in the web-free games that are designed for only around tokenization and not around user experience. AI is disrupting all industry and gaming is definitely one of them. So in this session, the Financial Fox is hosting a discussion on AI and gaming with three gaming experts, Charles Reina, Angel Investor, VIP Revenue ID Level Labs and Partner Concept Venture, Robbie Young, the Web3 Game Guru, CEO of Animoca Brand, and finally Luca Vajani, who is a well-known AI expert from Italy and also the co-founder of OMM Games, which will be a AI plus game coming to market very, very soon. I'm quite excited to see what my expert has to say on the topic, how AI is disrupting storytelling, game experience, and also game development. So there is so much to discuss. I hope that I can tackle some of the key point if there are any game developers out there that is definitely an episode that you don't want to miss and anyone should actually miss that so if you're not subscribed to our youtube channel click the subscribe button now and follow us on social media to stay up to date with our news and interviews we love your support as our platform is growing but also from our videos and from our interviews you are going to get some really interesting insight if you are in the blockchain, AI, fintech space, and you are looking to stay at the top of all the development in the space. Obviously, if you have any comment or any feedback, don't hesitate to reach out to me on social media. You can do that on Twitter or send me an email at steffi at financialfox.news. I'm always here and I always welcome feedback. Finally, remember that all the content here is for informational purposes and nothing is for financial advice, even though we don't discuss much about investment in this panel discussion, but it's always important to say. So let's get straight into our interview. Hi, everyone. It's great to have you on the show. Hi. Thanks so much for having us. Hi, it's good to be here. Yeah, brilliant. So I wanted this panel really to focus on AI and gaming because uh, there is not much out there is actually that is actually explaining the potential that AI can bring to gaming. And uh, we talk about user experience. We talk about efficiency of game, actually making game more fun, which is all about and all, you know, the gaming community, especially the Web3 gaming community is trying to have, um, so break some barriers and make games uh, they, they are more futuristic and they can actually exactly be more fun for players. So before we dive into the subject, let's go around for just a quick introduction. I'm Robbie um, and uh, I work at a company called Anywoka Brands um, and we make games, all different kinds of games um, from mobile casual games to more sort of console style AAA games. Um, and everything we do um, uses blockchain as infrastructure, so we make Web3 games, to be specific, uh, if that's a genre. <laughs> 
I'm, I'm Carlos. I'm a VP of Revenue here at the Level Labs. Um, we do a lot of voice technology. So we created a brand new technology that is able to replicate human voices at very high quality. Um, we've been growing quite a lot. So uh, we launched the first product at the end of January. We quickly reached over 1 million users. And um, we've essentially been like, happy. it hasn't stopped for us uh, since then. Uh, and we've been working very closely with the game community because at the end of it, like creating one server for games and new experiences part of like, essentially it's part of like giving um, new content to the player, right? So more than happy, like very happy to be in the this. Hi to everybody, I'm Luca and uh, I run some IT companies uh, and some specialized uh, on AI implementation and development. Uh, and uh, some others focused on gaming. Uh, so we are here today to just try to make a mix of the technology. Right? And um, I think it will, it will be a fun discussion. Well, Luca, you are too modest because, you know, your company in Italy has been working with uh, multiple games and you are uh, kind of like a well-known personality in Italy when it comes to AI. Anyway, Let's uh, start to um, unfold this subject because uh, AI is really in gaming is not something new. I mean, it's been part of video games uh, since, uh, you know, the, the 90s. So what is actually happening now that everybody is talking about? the potential of AI in gaming, but also what I would like maybe you to explain is how this AI in gaming has evolved over the years. I think um, when we think about AI, we have, we've had lots of different names for it over the years. You know, more recently, we might have referred to them as bots on the internet. And, and originally, when I first grew up playing games um, at, the, at the beginning of video games, I guess it is, um, we just called it playing against the computer. Um, because that was an AI of a sort as well. Um, but I think what we're seeing now is really a reference to things like large language models and generative art and things that allow us as game makers to really rethink the process of developing games. Um, you know, And hopefully these tools can allow us to make um, not only more interesting and exciting content, but also realize a lot of efficiencies. Everything we do um, uses blocks. Yeah, super interesting. I think you're right. The the bots at the time playing against the computer was considered some kind of uh, AI. What kind of role has AI in enhancing the gaming experience? So if we go straight to the point, right? How the user can play a more engaging, a fun game because of AI? But now in a uh, uh, game development process, there is a sphere, yeah? Uh, a huge AI works because all the NPCs uh, and the opponents we can find in a game are uh, driven by a kind of AI. So it, it can be um, more or less uh, articulated, you know, and uh, it can be more challenging or less challenging depending on the, the gameplay style uh, of the game you're playing in. Now, so in, we have also saw some big example uh, of uh, AI, like uh, Shadow of Mordor has been uh, a huge game. Whether when it was recognized by the monsters, by the orcs, uh, they remembered you, and uh, if you meet the same uh, NPC, the same opponent you have met before, he was remembering and act in a different way. Just the first time you you interacted with him. No, and that this is a 
I think this uh, big evolution, this is uh, uh, more enhancing, uh, like uh, a behavior inside the game, uh, because uh, in fact the, the game is changing in the time. Also with dialogue system, you know, when you talk to an NPC and uh, ask something and they answer something else, you know, and uh, uh, some kind uh, of, of AI can uh, change the responses uh, and the behavior, and also maybe sometimes uh, the, the the humor of the of the character. Uh, many times when when you interact within the two or three times, maybe. So th- this is uh, th- these are AI that are uh, still uh, in use uh, and uh, for sure make the game more fun. Uh, I, now, obviously, I'm talking about uh, an action RPG game. You know, there are some great. Really different styles, different kinds of games, uh, you know, strategic uh, and also. But uh, I think uh, this is the, the 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 action and RPG games now offer the most possibilities uh, to AI integration and uh, AI challenging uh, and have yeah, more fun with the AI because there is a uh, an impersonification of the user in the player character. It's, it's interesting, right? Because like the way and see it for the con- biggest contribution with AI right now, generative AI as it is today, right? It's it's the fact that like, well, at least my personal opinion is like, it's not on the experience of the player today, right? It's more on how quickly you can get a game out there. How quickly can you generate assets? How quickly can you test ideas? Um, and And quickly also meaning like, from a cheap perspective, from a cost perspective, right? Because like, for me, like the fact that you're able to do it at a much low, like same quality, like less resources, like shorter timeframes and everything, that's the biggest level of contribution that AI or generative AI today has. Yes, I think like interactions with players and personalizations and then like bring that AI that uh, we used to play when we were growing up uh, against the machine and like it was not, it was a little bit dumb, but it was like, okay, like a formidable player anyway. That's like the next level, right? And it, I actually think like, it, like there is a lot of like gaming studies have been working on that. But for me, the biggest contributor today for 2023 is the asset generation and the speed of development. That's the only thing that really matters today, I think, because when we look at the numbers, like the majority of games like are not like generating like millions and millions of revenue. So how do you produce more to be able to find the right game that will give you that million in revenues and you get it out as quickly as possible? And then like next year, probably it's going to be like the player experience overall, right? But like we're still not there yet. Super interesting. Robbie, do you want to comment? Sure. No, I I think, I think what both gentlemen said is absolutely correct. I mean, we're we're using generative art just to try to make our art teams more efficient because obviously art in a world of of free to play games where, you know, content updates are kind of in a web2 model, um the bread and butter of being able to sell IAPs to customers, then obviously um you know, your art team and the cost of your art team is one of the big expenses of of game production. Um, so if you can make them more efficient, that's great. Um, I think from the player side, one thing I have seen, um, which is quite cool, is we do have some portfolio companies who have been um, starting to implement um, AI, some LLMs basically for um, NPCs, for non-playable characters. And that's actually very cool um, because we're able to add a lot more realism um, to these kind of tangential characters in the story so that when you're in some kind of a cityscape, for example, 
you know, the people you pass by on the street will be having conversations with each other, but these will be spontaneously generated conversations as opposed to canned dialogue, which, you know, repeats over and over again, um, historically in games. So I think that added level of realism is something that's just going it, to, it's, it's going to be a curiosity, I think for the next 12 months. And then after that, it's just going to start to blow our minds. So when we, when we talk about no playable character, what is really their role in the game? And uh, I mean, you mentioned about using AI to make those non playable characters more active or more, uh, give more engagement within the game. Is that what AI is bringing to them? I would say it's a little bit more like like in the search on on AAA console games, there's a big search. So I have a I have a friend who I went to university with, and he ended up getting a, a PhD in AI. And <laughs> one of one of his um, one of his uh, and this was a while ago, um, but but his job was primarily working at one of the larger game companies in the world, trying to make clouds look more realistic in their AAA title. And that was what he did. And they and they needed somebody with a PhD to figure out how to simulate clouds in a natural way. Um, because we always underestimate the incredible complexity of being able to sort of model that in a game. Um, and so I think the role of AI with characters is kind of the same thing. It's to give you that nth degree of realism of what's going on in the background and and because our brains are incredibly smart we can always tell what's not real and so it's very hard to you have to apply that to not just the natural worlds which we've been doing historically but now you have to start applying it to the the human characters as well it's uh, yeah it's uh, just so interesting how these things uh move so fast. But Charles, speaking up of what you mentioned early about the focus of AI now being, uh, you know, uh, the value on the art, on the game assets, and then you mentioned about the experience, uh, going back to 11 Labs and what you are doing, I mean, really adding a voice level that is realistic, that's where we come down to Robbie point, is more about the immersive experience than a game can bring. So, Looking at the work that you're doing at Eleven Labs, how early we are on that? What is the things that maybe has to develop a bit more in order to um, get to the point where the experience is really more, much more imm immersive and realistic, also without a sense like you know, like speech, perhaps? Yeah, I, I think I think like the technology is there for on on the, for rendering on the cloud, right? So if you want to have those NPCs that. Essentially, um, that will generate like in open worlds will generate dynamically content all of the time. Then you need to be connected constantly to the internet. Now, the biggest challenge that then one has is like, how do you make it so that like the models are small enough to be like rendering on a device in a PS5 or in an Xbox or something like that, right? I think that's where the technology today is a little bit like certain, you know, because the models are so big that even though like very expensive like consoles don't really have enough power to but like very likely, like next year, in second class next year, we're going to be able to actually like start making that smaller, being able to render a device across the board, not 11 that, but I think like across the industry, like yeah. going to be like specific models developed so that like you can put it in a PS5 and, and, and render it or in a PS4. I think that that's the biggest like technological barrier overall um, because technology is already there. Like I think like, there is the element of like creativity overall where you can use like an for Boys or you could use New Journey for like images or you could use like something as like a topic for the LN, the text generation and everything. Um, and, and I think that's fantastic. But 
like you still need to connect it and developing games and launching a game still will take you like a decent amount of time. So I don't think the technology has been there long enough to be seeing like a widespread number of games live today that are using LLMs or they're leveraging that's why I think like the actual value today lies in the asset in the content creation, speeding up those ones, like those timelines. And then next year we'll start really seeing like how that is impacting the experience for players, right? That's where like I think like but there is a bunch of like different elements that need to be overcome, like especially on random on the bodies versus like on, on the cloud. Yes. And the course going down. Let's also like be honest about it, right? If you need to constantly generate text for your NPCs or like, or voice, or need to dynamically generate images for your like levels and things like that, then the cost things like goes to the roof. So like you need to be able to actually do it in a mathematical way. Yeah. Just a quick question to Robbie. Robbie, how many projects working with Animoca are integrating AI? I would say that we are, I mean, we have probably half a dozen companies that are specifically focused on AI and that's become cool. the main pro like the core product suite um, and I think pretty much every game company um, is now starting to use AI in some fashion um, mostly with generative art um, although AI has historically not been very good for like animated style animation style graphics um, it's much better for photorealism um, in its current incarnation and then um, also we're trying to use um, LLMs for just, I mean, we, we use it for content generation mainly. Okay. Um, but I think it's more about us push, push, pushing to try to get everybody, you know, using it because it's difficult. It's a, it's a new tool that people aren't used yeah. to working with. So to put it into your workflow um, takes effort. Yeah, 100%. Uh, Luca, tell us a bit about procedural storytelling and how AI can help in crafting the game as the player play the game. It's a bit of like using the same words, but I think this is one of the things that you are trying to do with the game you are building. And I thought it was quite interesting because I can have my kind of my own experiences in playing the game. The game become more... Uh, interesting for me because he adapts to my style of play or something like that. Just just explain that because I think that's also with the non-player character that could be also a very interesting area for games to look at AI as a tool. Okay, yes, um, the, it, it starts because um, we are uh, focusing on using AI to um, generate uh, really special user experience. Uh, is uh, obviously a good tool for improve the production and to speed the production. Yeah, of course. But uh, I think uh, the, the main uh, return of using AI is to give uh, a really new kind of experience. So what we have done, uh, we have done a system integrated in a game SDK. Now that we are also working on two games now that can uh, recognize the player behaviors inside uh, a gameplay session, you know, and uh, with some deep learning and classification uh, can uh, have uh, a user profile and can uh, adapt the game contents based on the, the gaming style of each user is play. And as for game content, I mean uh, a level design and I mean uh, NPC given content and maps dungeons uh, and quests, you know? So in this case, the AI is capable of uh, change the game runtime 
you know, when you play and every time the user play, uh, acquire, can learn about the player gaming style and what he likes to do. So if, uh, he is, uh, he's a player that he is like to, to smash things, you know, or like, uh, some kind of quest of some kind of investigation games, uh, you know, mini games inside the main one. So the AI can learn and can propose uh, a more, uh, quality content uh, for the user. So the user have more fun that, that the game is never boring. That is the main problem, especially in the web free games that are designed for only around tokenization and not around user experience. So we're working on this way. Yeah, sorry, but I think that's a, that's a very interesting point because one of my questions that um, I was going to ask after, is AI procedural storytelling going to make the game more boring because it's going to repeat my behavior rather than surprise me with something that maybe I'm not expecting and, uh, and that way the game becomes... Maybe too, not too easy because actually AI could make the game too more difficult, but could a little bit boring, no? No, I think it's the opposite. I think it's absolutely the opposite because, uh, obviously is a a kind of uh, architecture, you know, where uh, we are going to project uh, the game uh, and uh, make the AI uh, evaluate some decision. You know, the AI is capable of decision making is his job. Yeah. And, uh, we, we can also find patterns uh, against maybe many user sessions uh, and uh, propose to some user the content uh, maybe that are uh, good for another one and test. So th- the user always have different kind uh, of, uh, of game uh, inside of game, game storytelling. So it's always different. Uh, and if it's well designed, uh, I think it can be almost uh, infinite play. Okay, so you don't lose the creativity of the storytelling if you implement AI. Yeah, you have to carefully plan it. When you say plan it, tell me a bit about the data that you use to make this, uh, for these changes in the game to happen, to adapt to the player. Okay, okay. We have a behavior recognition engine we have done. Okay, it's uh, also uh, we are feeling a patent on this. And, uh, I've never heard a technology like that. Um, but, uh, with some months of work, uh, we have good results. And, uh, the data is automatically taken by the game SDK, you know? And, um, we are basically clustering the users. Clustering means, uh, uh give, uh, uh, like a psychological profile, you know? So you have, uh, some percentage of these, some percentage of these, uh, character, you know? And basing the user points, uh, so we have another graph, another chart, you know? And um, basing on this, we are going to um, classify the contents and propose to the user. Okay. I have got another question. Is AI going to make the game too difficult, more challenging to a point yeah. where the fun can be less than the effort to play? It can. Of course, it can. It's always a matter of weight. You know, yeah, it's a matter of weights when you're training an AI, and it's a matter of weights when you are allowing her to make the decision with con- which content proposed to the user. So you have to balance. These are kind of fine tuning when you're going to test the game, you know, with many users or other AI that are testing the game, you know. So 
this is useful also for this this stage of the production uh, process. And uh, you have to balance it. You just have to balance it. I think like there is the what the internet prepare. So like the the on the, the trailer or like the ideal scenario is like it is not too difficult the people like the players will drop, but it's not too easy that like because they get frustrated, but it's not too easy that like they will essentially see that like it's too easy, like I can get this done like in a session and not, right? So like you and you always need to like keep going up as the player keeps getting more skills playing it. It used to be a little bit more difficult, a little bit more difficult. Uh, so that like this actually constantly are playing and playing and getting engaged more. But like the alternative to that is saying like, oh, I act, I start playing like, I don't know, Jedi Survivor and I select the level, right? Like my level might not be like, I might not be at that level, but am I, am I finding like too complex? Or am I finding like that it's too easy, right? And as such, like, like we don't really like uh, today it's categorizing like maybe two, three, four, five level. And I need you to just stick on that one. Yeah. What I'm saying here is like, you could have like thousands of different variations of levels that will make it slightly more difficult each time that you play or as you keep playing and it's constantly adapting to you. And I think that's the beauty of it because then you end up having this like endless cycle that like you always want to play a little bit more. You always want to play a little bit more because like yeah. you want to get to the next level, right? Or because you, you're getting better at it. Uh, yeah. But you're not getting bored because you're too good. Yeah, yeah, super interesting. Uh, Robbie, I'm curious about the integration of AI and blockchain. Can we talk about this? Does it make sense? Uh, what, what actually, how does it look like? Sure. Um, I think the most obvious use case, of course, is that if you think about what AI is doing, um, AI is essentially humans harnessing the power of computers to do things on their behalf. Um, and something that's a, a a very, very sophisticated version of what would we'd normally call a script, where you essentially just ask it to perform a simple task, right? And if you think about all of the things that we're going to be asking computers to do for us, they can write content, they can fetch things from across the internet. I think one of the things that we're going to be asking is for computers to be transacting things on our behalf as well. Um, mm -hmm. And as they start to transact things, then of course, we're going to have to have some way and some medium of exchange for them to transact. So I think from that respect, um, then naturally blockchain or crypto specifically um, becomes the native currency of AI because, you know, you're going to be able to program your AI to, for example, you know, trade cryptocurrencies on your behalf or go and queue up for a content drop from your favorite game because they're going to be issuing content at you know, three o'clock in the morning in your time zone and you don't want to stay up. So you make your AI go do it. Um, but how is the AI going to go and make that purchase and transaction for you? It's not going to have a bank account. It can't have its own identity. So it needs to use crypto to do that because, you know, um, it can go and basically just transact with a wallet on its own autonomously. Yeah, this is really super interesting. How AI is impacting the role of a game developer? So I think on our end, um, it's primarily in the creation of art at the moment. Um, and I think the biggest tool is some of it is for the creation of art, because even especially in Web3 communities, generative art has been a big thing already for a few years. But I'd say more so for visualization tools as opposed to final content at the moment. So it's a way for team who is, you know, um, it's an alternative to storyboarding. You know, we used to, in the old days, create storyboards and mood boards and things like this to get 
a whole creative team around a concept of an idea. We're going to do, you know, dragons in space. And, and everybody's like, what does that look like? And so somebody has to go and draw out storyboards. Yeah. Um, and now you can basically do that with, with text prompts and generate images that everybody can share and get their head around the same concept and do it very, very quickly. Yeah. So Luca, tell me how much time can AI save for, for a developer? Because you do that professionally with your company. So I'm curious to see how much the work can be can go down thanks to AI. To AI. Okay. Um, by now, for the just technical prospect, not so much. Not so much. Because uh, as uh, Robbie said, uh, is uh, we, we are in a stage uh, that we can, uh, of course, use AI for draft. You know, but uh, in especially in the games and in 3D games, uh, there are not products that, uh, that are reliable maybe to speed uh, a 3D artist process. Maybe, you know, it's still uh, the AI that can produce 3D models uh, are so young and unreliable today. So you can't auto rely on them 100% to basically make the game, but you can, uh, from a creative perspective, like Robbie said, maybe you can have more assets, perhaps, with the right prompt. Yeah, you, it's easier to share some ideas uh, and the prototype uh, something. Okay. But uh, it, it cannot uh, today re replace someone, you know? You cannot uh, split the team also in the coding uh, process. Uh, it's not so advanced okay. AI today by, the, by this prospect. Charles, do you have anything that maybe from your side you want to add? Yeah, no, I think, I think like it's a little bit different on the visual aspect of it. I think like the voice aspect of it, like there is a lot more things that you could do purely because like previously, like the majority of indie games studios wouldn't be able to actually afford for voice of it. Right. Yeah. And that's where like there is a big leap in terms of like what you could do today with AI that you could not do even a year ago. Right. Who would want to put like Amazon's voices or Google text to speech or Azure voices in a game when they didn't really sound that great? I mean, unless you didn't have a choice, you would do that, right? But like indie developers benefited from the fact of saying like, actually, let's do like without, we will write the uh, everything as a subtitles and then essentially you will have to read, right? Now, the beauty of it is like, you don't really need to do that. You can essentially use like 11 apps or any other tools to actually like give you those voices yeah. and voice that content. I think that's like taking it to a whole new level where from my perspective, it's already adding like, and next for improvement in terms of workflows, like development time, reducing comps, all of it, and be able to actually generate new experiences. But I 100% agree on the fact that, like, if you look at 3D elements, 3D assets, like quality or the resolution of those is not good enough yet to be able to actually deploy games or launch games with yeah. those assets. But, like, what? It's a matter of time. Huh? Like, I think, like, the models are evolving so quickly that, like, next year, if we do this yeah. conversation in 12 months' time, I will probably guarantee that 100% of all of the gaming studios are generating 3D assets with AI models or LLMs. That would, I, I think, indeed, that will 100% happen for sure, right? It's just like the speed of development is going so quickly that even if today, like, you feel that, like, part of your process is still not optimizable, give it a few more months, you're going to get there, right? But there's other elements, other LLMs that already are giving you a huge amount content text side like thinking about like scripts and all of that like you can use plenty of llms that generate text to get a bunch of ideas right uh that is something that is available today and a lot of the studios are here right so there is all of these like uh, like areas pockets of areas where you can start using it and being more efficient and there is all other areas in which today you're 
Yeah, so what about uh, game testing and bug detection? Is there, has AI got a role there or maybe, yeah, possibly in the future, but not right now? Definitely. I think on, on our end, I was just going to say, um, not specifically game testing, but uh, smart contract auditing, um, we already do. Okay, brilliant. Just to, just to clarify this, when we are talking about AI, we are talking about LLMs to support, uh, you know, ga- game evolution. What kind of apps, what kind of technology are we talking about? Shall we maybe list a few that you see are the one driving in the AI space uh, for gaming? A part of 11 Labs, obviously. Um, one of the tools that we use actually is something that's developed by um, one of our portfolio companies, um, and uh, it's called Blockade Labs, um, and they made they make a visualization tool. So essentially, you can just use text prompts to create a 360 degree immersive perspective, um, like a like a landscape. So it's really good for doing that kind of storyboarding that I was talking about, just because it's not a static image, it's a full 360 degrees. So it really gives you when you're building immersive worlds, it gives you a big head start in thinking about what stuff might look like. Luca, do you have any any suggestion? Uh, I personally use uh, LLM just for the maybe the, the lore and the story part of the of the production and uh, not gaming related uh, maybe per body and app mobile apps related the i really love the the video assistance you know that uh, they can uh, integrate the llm and also use a speech to text uh, text to speech voice and uh, you have basically a video they can talk to you so you have uh, also visual assistant on an llm that is uh, is we, we are doing it uh, with uh, NPCs, but, uh, you know, the, the definition is really different so that the user experience is really different. Do you have, uh, which technology are you using from from which company? Oh, we are playing with DID. I find them so cool. Okay. Charles, do you have any other suggestion for us? Um, I, th- I think there's plenty of solutions out there, right? But I think, like, there is a company that is not well known at all because they just raise some money. Um, and they started like literally 12 months ago. But there is a company called vSIM, uh, virtual like vSIM Technologies. Um, they don't even have a website, funny enough. But um, what they've ended up creating is like an entire like physics engine. So like back to like Robbie's point about like having a friend that was doing he did his PhD and was like essentially modeling clouds. Like truly, it's really, really difficult to actually apply real physics because the engines like haven't been fully optimized. So like this company has created like an entire physics engine that is like real time is able to simulate anything between liquids, like clouds, clothing, like anything you wanted. Um, Those guys, I think like are absolutely fantastic. Like they're going to be like making some splashes like relatively soon. But I think like there's plenty of tools in the market today that will help you like uh, generate assets and, and make them like useful for the studio overall. Yeah. Last uh, points that I want to discuss is investment. We, I mean, we can, it's quite clear now that there is investment going into the next generation of gaming uh, when it comes, you know, to AI, obviously in the Web3 space. But is AI not too expensive for indie developers. Then I know that Charles, you said there is actually giving tools that otherwise they wouldn't be able to afford, but at the same time, those tools are quite expensive. So how that is going to work? I think it depends a little bit on what you're using them for, 
right? If you're using them to generate dynamic content and the dynamic assets, it is very expensive, right? If you're using them to actually like not generate those dynamic elements and essentially like create games that deliver good experience, they're like limited in scope to some extent, then that's where you can have like a huge amount of like synergies and like improvements in cost. Getting a license to use DID, probably like what, $20, like getting a license to use MidJourney, yeah. right? the number of assets that you render, right? Or tokens, like getting a license to use Eleven Labs, like that's $5 a month. Like uh, OpenAI, that's what, like 20 something, $30 a month, right? So in practice, you might end up spending $100 um, to generate a lot of assets and you can cancel any time, right? So it just depends on what you're using it for and, um, and how you're building your game probably not that expensive it's going to be a lot more expensive like like if you were like uh, if you were pay like real people to do those yeah that's true right but but it depends i think like it depends on the budget that you have it depends on like a bunch of like what's your goal the type of game that you're building whether you're building a triple a versus you're building like a mobile game or you're building something that is like a high project or like, it just depends essentially what type of context you have, then it can be quite cheap, but it can be quite expensive. Yeah. Robbie, do you maybe want to give us some insight on um, what you see being the trends in AI investment in the gaming industry? I mean, maybe if there are any challenges or any specific opportunities that you are mainly focusing on, what you're looking for as a VC. Sure. I think for us, it's really about seeing how people are using AI in a I want to say substantive way, meaning there's lots of cool things you can do with AI as a, as a tool and a technology, but to think about how you can really start to use it to make a meaningful change in either the way in which you service your customers or in the quality of the product you're creating. You know, obviously, if, if you figure out a way to, to cut your overhead cost of game development substantially, then that's a fantastic implementation. Um, maybe a little bit less sexy, but uh, it's great for the bottom line. Um, or if you figure out a way in which to um, increase rapidly your productivity so you can, you know, make three games instead of one for the same budget, then of course that's great because we're in a hit-driven industry. Um, I think that there's definitely potential for this to be quite dramatic in terms of actual game development itself. Meaning, for example, we have a portfolio company um, called Rosebud, and they already have been working for over a year on an engine that allows you to generate code um, so that you can basically make casual mobile games from a text prompt. And, you know, I think that's just kind of a view of the tip of the iceberg because you start with the casual mobile games and then in two years, we're going to have, you know, immersive Unreal 5 games that are made from text prompts. So that's that's when that's when the three of us have to start to worry about um, adding value at our workplaces to make sure that we're still needed. Yeah. But I don't think that we're there yet. So I think at the moment it's more of a productivity tool internally. Okay. Well, guys, thank you so much for coming on. I think that was really interesting. And let's see, you know, how the space is evolving. Super exciting. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.